I'm going to jump right into it this morning. Out of Luke's gospel, chapter 14, let's look at verses 7 through 11 for the moment. Keep in mind, before I even jump in this verse, I'm going to set this scenario up. Jesus right now, we were studying this last week, he's inside of the, the ruler of the Pharisee's house. He, met, he was invited over to eat with them. And, and we saw last week how there was uh, someone who, who was sick with dropsy, and he healed them on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees were kind of weird about that. And now he's still in the same place, eating with the, the, the ruler of the Pharisees and some of his disciples. And it says this in verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this portion of scripture, as I was studying this, it's a lot about humility in our lives. And I want to say humility, sometimes we think of humility as, oh, that's where you you stay back and you you remain weak and, uh, you you know, you're you're not outspoken. You're you're kind of timid and maybe that's sometimes what the world thinks of humble people is that they're weak. But humility isn't weakness. Humility, it's not, it's the opposite of pride because pride is all focused on selfishness and you thinking that you're the best thing to, to God's earth. But humility is just not thinking of yourself. It's simply putting others before yourself and putting God first. So now as they're, they're all gathering around on this, in this ruler's house, one of the things that I noticed that Jesus is doing in the room, he's perceiving what's going on with people. He's saying, okay, uh, I'm, I'm healing this guy with dropsy and I'm, you know, I'm starting to see also everybody likes to hang out with the top guys, the top rulers. Whoever the, the main guy of, of the Pharisees was, people like to be buddy-buddy with him. And we see that happening in church. And it's that selfish nature that, that people really desire to have the best for themselves. Even in high school, I, I remember being in high school and me and my friends who we were like tight with, we always found this game in life where whoever was having the worst experience would be like, man, it stinks to be you, huh? And then if we were like having a good time and a good experience in our high school, we'd be like, yeah, dude, oh, my life is way better than yours, bro. Yours stinks. And there was this, this, this com- competition that people, there's a selfishness that people always want to see, like, make, make it seem like they're having the best experience better than everyone else. And th- th- it comes from selfishness. And, and I see that even in ministry. Sad to say there's a, a popularity contest at times with churches. And it's, it's about who, who's big on Instagram and, and, and Facebook. And, and it's no longer about reaching people, but it's more of a who's who all of a sudden. And, and who's the pastor with the coolest sneakers nowadays and all these things. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, I'm wearing boots today. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the, the lessons that I learned at uh, Calvary Chapel when I, when I was serving there was the associate, uh, Pastor Raul Reese, the head pastor, his associate pastor, assistant pastor, would, would exhort the leaders that in between services, that if they saw him in the hallway, he would tell this to the leaders, not to the congregation. He would say, look, if you, if you see me out there standing there in the hallway, please don't come up and start talking to me because I want to serve the people. You guys are leaders. And, and if the leaders are always just trying to be buddy-buddy with the guy who they think is like the highest, then all of a sudden they're, they're making a click. And, and, it's, and people could see that when you come into a church. It happens. 
People start to click up and then it's like, man, and then you just feel like you're outside and nobody's inviting you places and you just feel like it's hard to connect with people. That's how I felt in high school. I felt like I can never be like these Christian people. (laughs) These Christian people are weird and I'm cool. So I can't be like them. But the Lord had to humble my heart and humble my mind and then just make myself open to, to trying to be, come alongside of, of the people who were there at, at the church. And all of a sudden, I started to realize I was missing out on such a great opportunity because the, the men and women who were serving at that church, once they realized I, I was open to them, they started pouring into me. And that's the same here. We want to pour into you guys. But we, we can't have this selfish nature that we're all trying to just be the top guy. Again, I'll, I'll read verses eight and nine again to you guys. Remember, this is a parable. He says in verse eight, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. Lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. So now at at weddings, sometimes you're going to see the bridal party table. Sometimes we didn't have one. We didn't want it. (laughs) But sometimes you'll see a bridal party table where, where those special people that were selected in that wedding, the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, they might get their own table. Now imagine if there was this bridal party table and then someone who wasn't part of the bridal party just went and took that seat and just said, oh, I'm going to go sit right next to the bride and the groom. And then they sat there and then there'd be this, have to be this awkward conversation like, hey, we only have 10 chairs up here. You got to go sit down. And, and it, you know, that's kind of the example that he's giving here. Like you don't go and just take the seat of honor that's not given to you. In fact, he says, when you're invited, you need to do this. This happened at my, mine and Lisette's wedding, actually. Uh, if you guys happen to be there, which I know some of you guys were, uh, Anna and Howard, right here, Anna and Howard, they, they saw that some of my friends, actually, they didn't have seats for, for the dinner part of it. They were, they were kind of just standing around talking, but it didn't look like there was any tables for them. So Anna went to Howard, and she said, Howard, can, can you help me? Uh, there, we need tables and chairs for, for the friends. And Howard told Anna, he said, woman, what have I to do with you? Uh, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. That was what Jesus said. Uh, <laughs> but they did get them chairs. And, and they, they were then those friends who were kind of just on the sidelines. They, they suddenly now had a place of honor, a place at our wedding. And that's the, the mentality that, to have when we're approaching these situations. And when I see this, what I'm what I think is really cool is we're approaching the holiday season and the, the Holy Spirit felt that it is fitting that we begin to learn how to conduct ourselves when we gather for feasts. Look at verse 10. He says, but when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend and go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. So point one of my study this morning, and I encourage you guys, if uh, you're starting to come here, I encourage you guys bring a a, a notebook that you can write notes in because that allows you then to kind of have those points that you can remember. Okay. I want to remember that this week. I want to remember that. So my first point, Point one, practice humility. Notice how in verse 10, first they were invited. You see, you don't just invite yourself to a, to a gathering at times. And if you do, maybe you get lucky and get in. But for the most part, you want, you want to be invited. There's holiday gatherings coming up. And, and the exhortation, I, I believe, to the church this morning is for us now with these gatherings coming up is to take the lowly place in our gatherings. Because there's going to be needs during your, your Thanksgiving that feast that's coming up. Beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes. Is that how it goes? All that, yams, whatever else she says. <laughs> that's coming up. 
And, you know, we could just be like, oh, I'm first in line. I'm going to get all the food that I want. And, and then you just eat and you're like, all right. You take the, the doggy bag home. They still call them doggy bags. And then you just get in your car and you leave and you don't even fellowship with anyone or have, like hang out with your family. No, we, we want to take the lowly place. And remember, there's things and needs that people have. Trash needs to be taken out. Dishes need to be cleaned. Uh, if there's no seat at, at a table, perhaps, maybe we should just sit on the side, especially if we're young. Yeah? Yeah. Or just sit on the side and let the older people get the table, maybe. And then somebody's at times has to go take the kids for a walk, right? So they're, ah, they're running around little psychotic animals at times, right? But we love them, but we love them. Don't honor yourself. If somebody blesses you, you can still receive it, but receive it with humility. Appreciating, look, that man, I'm being blessed by you through the, by the Lord through you. And take that. Look at verse 11. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this is important, for, especially for the, the leaders here. Um, because true ministry is servanthood. True ministry is the ministers becoming slaves to the church, to the people. And, and you've heard me say this a lot of times, and I know you, I, I say it often, is that if you begin to see in this ministry that the leaders are being served more than the people who are coming here, leave. Because I, I want the funds to stop coming in so that the Lord can, can, the Holy Spirit can convict me if I start to see, hey, like, the, the Lord is closing the door on the church. Is something wrong? Am I doing something wrong with my leadership? Are they, are they serving themselves and letting people serve them rather than them serving the people? Because true ministry has to have that servanthood. Ministry's main focus, it isn't the leader being served. Now, there's going to be prideful believers who are going to be humbled in heaven. You see, he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And eventually, we're all going to be before the Lord. And how do I want to present myself to the Lord after living this life? Because if I walk through this life as prideful, and as I said earlier, I think I'm God's gift to the world, I'm going to be really humbled before the Lord. And then vice versa, there's going to be people who were humble believers who in heaven, they're going to be exalted. And, and there's also the ungodly now who are apart from Christ. They're going to be humbled to, to damnation. So we pray for the lost to be saved. And with this, you know, there's this idea right now that's big of karma. And I, I hear people talk about karma a lot. But the Bible doesn't teach karma. The Bible does teach that we reap what we sow. Yeah, there's blessings and, and good consequences that come from us giving to the Lord and, and doing that work. But, and there's also God's justice. But when it comes to karma, here, here's a really great proof that karma is not the rule. Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Where's the karma in that? Did Jesus get what he had coming? Did Jesus get what he deserved? There's no karma in that. That's grace, mercy, and salvation for us. God's justice. Look at verse 12. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich people, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Which leads me to my second point this morning. Practice charity. 
Um, right now in the middle, of, of, I want to try to get involved with uh, some sort of, uh, of homeless facility here in, in Glendora because I, I want to be able to you know, open it up for the Redeemed Church for us to go over there and, and bless them somehow. So keep that in prayer. I'm getting everything lined up. Um, but that's going to be coming next month. And, you know, we can practice that charity, that love. And what Jesus is telling the, the Pharisees here, he's saying don't invite people expecting to gain something from them. He wants them to give unconditionally and especially to those people who can't bless you back. I think it was a few weeks ago I asked you guys if you guys have that person in your life that God's placed there and you can only bless them and you know that they can't bless you back and you're not supposed to expect anything. And sometimes God will bring that person to you and it it's that conviction, that Holy Spirit just leading you to say, okay, I, I want to give to this person. I feel led to do so. And sometimes it's hard too. Sometimes the, the flesh is weak and sometimes we are, we are selfish and we want to just focus on ourselves. But then the Lord brings that person along your way and, and just give to them without expecting anything in return. And how about then practicing that in, in your marriage? in your relationships, of being graceful. He was telling the Pharisees this because they liked giving to one another the best gifts and they, they also liked receiving it back. And they were all like just rich people just throwing money at each other. Now, he said specifically, he wanted them to invite the lame. Someone who's lame is someone who's been deprived of a foot or a limb. Someone who's maimed, because he also says also the maimed, that's a more general term for someone who's crippled. So these are people who, in context, they're weak. And in, especially in this society, they were the outcasts of society. So Jesus is telling them, look, we need to care for the weak and the outcasted of society. At the work um, that I my old boss, I should say. He used to have this slogan written on his wall by Andrew Carnegie that said, there is no use whatsoever in helping those who will not help themselves. And I read that the first time I was in his room, his office, and I was like, man, like, I don't know if that's necessarily a Christian idea. No use in helping someone who can't help themselves because... When I read these verses, I, I'm seeing Jesus is saying to help those who, who can't help themselves. Help those who are weak. And, and I also think of those who, who are, have a crippling in the mind. Those, those who are, have a weakness. And my heart goes out to them. You know, sometimes we, we see somebody who just acts weird. Especially, too, if they're coming to, to, a, to a church and we just feel like, oh, okay, I don't want to be around this guy or this girl. Uh, they're just, they're, we they're weird and there's something wrong with them. Whether it's, it's physical, whether it's mental or even spiritual. And suddenly we put this bubble around them. And then they're not experiencing the love and maybe they get stumbled. Maybe they leave the church because people were not giving them that love. So I, I feel convicted to make sure that I am giving time to those who are in need. Giving time to those who are, are weak. In verse 14. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, this is cool because look at there's reward for motives and actions. You see, we could do things the right way with the wrong heart. And if you're doing the right thing the wrong way, it's the wrong thing. I'll say that again. If you're doing the right thing the wrong way, you're doing the wrong thing. Your father 
who sees in secret, Jesus said, will reward you openly. He said that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, I think we're going to be really surprised when we get to heaven of who's going to get the most honor. Because perhaps in our mind, we're thinking of the guys who are, are the front men of Christianity. We're like, oh, they're probably going to get the most honor. But I also think that whenever they get patted on the back or they get the reward, kind of like the praise of man here on earth, they're, the reward, they're, they're losing some of that reward if they're taking it and receiving it for themselves. And I think that we're going to be surprised when we see maybe that the little old lady who was in the back of the church is praying for people. She's going to be in, exalted and, and, and the Lord is just going to bless her for all the prayers that she was praying out. And meanwhile, meanwhile we're thinking that it's, it's about works, but it's not. Works are important. Works, they show evidence that the spirit is moving, but works don't bring us salvation. So what did Jesus say? Look, he said, go into your prayer closet. Don't stand out and make these grand prayers so that people can hear you and be like, wow, that guy's really saved. That guy's really a Christian. He's saying, go into your prayer closet. Now, in this verse, in verse 14, something he also, I noticed, is that he's talking about the resurrection of the just. Do you guys know that our literal bodies are going to be resurrected? That we're actually going to receive a glorified body. Which leads me to my third point. We'll receive a glorified body. The resurrection of believers will be just like that of Christ, both body and literal. In John chapter 20, verse 27, it says, Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, this is after the the resurrection, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hands here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So you see, Jesus' body was raised so that when Thomas, who was doubting, could see him and then could touch him, it was the flesh that he was touching. It wasn't just some phantom. Our bodies are going to be glorified. And and something when I I think of that, I I realize in this life that our bodies, they're going to decay. They're going to get old and weak. And as... I could try as much as I want. I could go to the gym and be healthy and all these things, but it, it profits so little because death is coming. And, and eventually I'm going to probably gain some weight, sad to say, and things are going to start hanging and it's just be like wrinkly and it's, it's going to get bad. But when I look at, look, this is the hope that I have though, that God has a plan for my life, that he has a plan for my body. It's going to be physical too, that this new body that I'm given. So for those of us this morning who are, are, have bodies that, that have pain in them, there's hope that God is going to heal you, not just spiritually, but physically also. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Also through his spirit that dwells in you. You see, our mortal bodies are going to be resurrected. Now, this is what's really cool. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross for our sins, was put in the earth three days, and then was, came back, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. Here's what's really cool about that. Because Jesus was given a, a human body. When Jesus went into heaven after that, that was the first time that something from this earth entered into heaven. And, and he still has the scars on himself. Though he was given the resurrected body, there's still scars on it. And it's, it's going to come to the point where he's going to be seen before the Jews and they're going to ask him, who, who did this to you? And he's going to say, these scars were done in the house of my friends. 
that his own people crucified him. And we were the reason why he was put on the cross. You and I here today, our sin so that they could be removed from us. Now, this is what's also important about that, that I realize. Because Jesus' body went into heaven, into eternity, our bodies are going to do the same. So, do you think God cares what we do with our bodies? Yeah, God does care what we do with our bodies. He cares the trials that happen with our bodies. He cares that we keep our bag of meat, I'll call it, holy, set apart unto him. And we can't allow the things of this world to lead our spirit and our bodies into sin. So this is why we need the word in our life. Look at verse 15. Sorry about that. When one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now remember this whole scene taking place right here. There's a man healed with dropsy. And they were kind of like looking at Jesus like, how is he healing on the Sabbath? Why, why would he do that? That goes against our law that you can't work on the Sabbath. And they're kind of looking at, at, at Jesus with critical hearts. But now Jesus is beginning to tell them, hey, well, would you guys take care of your donkeys on the Sabbath, don't you? Isn't it better for me to take care of this man on the Sabbath? And now that he's talking about blessing the poor and the weak, suddenly conviction is setting in in these men's hearts, which is a good thing. See, conviction leads us closer to the Lord. But now right at this time, as conviction setting in, all of a sudden this guy out of nowhere, imagine you're sitting at, at this dinner table and Jesus is saying some pretty heavy stuff and all of a sudden someone's just like, well, blessed is he who gets to heaven to eat the bread in, kingdom, in the kingdom. It's like, what the heck? Where did that come from out of nowhere? And I'm kind of wondering, I was like, did that guy just say that to break the tension that was in the air in the moment? But even though he, he might have just said that to break the tension, it's an awesome truth. That we're going to have a marriage supper of the Lamb. I think it's going to be In-N-Out Burger. It has to be. Maybe not. But in Revelation chapter 19... Verses 7 through 9. It said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. You see, this is the, the wedding feast now that's going to take place in heaven. And we're, we as believers were invited to it. And we, so because of this, I'm like, we get to eat in heaven. Yes. <laughs> I'm so happy. Mark 14 verse 25 also says, Jesus said this, and this is also why I believe we're going to eat in heaven. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You see, there's going to be this awesome ceremony, this, this, this supper. And I want all of us to be there. The Lord wants us to be there, more importantly. And this is one of the most important truths to this study, this, this one verse that I see. Because sometimes we just skim over it like, yeah, salvation, heaven. What else does Jesus say? But look, point four, and this is important for us this morning. Heaven is awesome because of Jesus. You see, Jesus is going to receive those who belong to him. And this illustration that he, he gives often is the way that a, a, a groom takes a bride to marry him. Sorry about that static. That's my fault. But when Jesus receives us, the church, it, it's like that, that wedding, that spiritual wedding. And I know sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard 
I think I need to get a little closer. Huh? That's probably fix it. <laughs> My wife is stressing out. Sorry. Technical difficulties. When we are, as men, sometimes looking at a marriage, right, and we're, they're called the church, the bride, we kind of feel like the bride, that's kind of weird. I don't want to be the bride. But it's an illustration, okay? God's not going to change who you are in heaven as far as that's concerned. But he's bringing yourself to him, to himself. That's how much he loves you. You're going to be one. And, and I think the marriage in this life that we have, the reason why God has designed it the way he did is to give us that example of, of how much he loves us. To give us an illustration of how close he wants to be with us. Jesus himself, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit in heaven are going to be the most amazing experience ever. They're going to make the most amazing thing that we can do on this earth, like snowboarding, surfing, uh, any type of, of great, amazing adventure. Jesus in heaven is going to make that seem so boring because Jesus himself is going to be the most amazing spiritual experience you're, you're going to have. He's going to be the most amazing emotional experience that you can ever have. The most amazing physical experience you can ever have is going to be with Jesus in heaven. The most mental, ever, any experience that's out there, Jesus himself is going to be that. Him, you see, without Jesus in heaven, it's not heaven. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Now, today we struggle in this life. But with Jesus in heaven, it's perfection. So that's what we hope for the future. You see, our earthly bodies, they can't handle Jesus in heaven right now. If we were to see Jesus in this room in his glorified state right now, if we were to see God the Father the way he is in heaven, we would blow up. Our, our bodies would be like the end of Indiana Jones when they open up the Ark of the Covenant and then all of a sudden everyone starts vaporizing and melting into slime instantly. Because God is so beautiful. Jesus is so beautiful that our earthly bodies cannot handle that much beauty. But when we have our glorified bodies in heaven, no more pain, no more COVID, no more sickness, no more anxiety, that's all going to be taken away, the fear of this life. And the reason why that's all going to be taken away is because you're going to be with Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. Now, that same Jesus that I'm preaching to you guys right now, that who's able to take all those stresses away, all the, the terrible pain away, he is with you right now. He's working in your heart right now. We know that to be true because the Bible teaches that Jesus lives in our heart. He lives in us. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, this is what it is to have Christ in us. That do we have sin in our life? The answer is Jesus. Do we have pain? The answer is Jesus. Jesus becomes no, he is everything we need, not he becomes. He is everything we need. And so many times we, we, we think that what this world has for us is better than him. I, I, we try to fill that void in our heart with any idol that exists. And if we would just simply submit ourselves to the Lord, he, he would fulfill us. Be able to meet those needs because when sometimes I think why people are, are, are so sinful is simply because they're just not allowing Jesus in. 
apart from God, of course they're trying to fill that hole in their heart. But they need Jesus. Let's look at verse 16. He said, then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. So this is the illustration right here. Jesus is calling his people to join him in his kingdom. Look, it's time, he's saying. When this, there's going to come a time and a day when the rapture is going to take place, when Jesus is going to come for his church. And if you guys haven't been awake spiritually, then maybe you've missed the, what's going on in our world today. That man, Jesus is preparing this world, this, his church, to be raptured right now. And we see that now more than ever. All you have to do is just watch the news for a little bit. You can see what's going on in Israel. What's going on in our country. In verse 18. It says, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Okay, so now in this parable, someone sends out an invite for the wedding, but people begin to make excuses. So with point five, my study this morning, don't make excuses with eternity. Don't make excuses with eternity. It said that these people all with one accord said these excuses. And I don't know if you guys have noticed that it's easier to say the same thing when someone else is saying it. When you have a group of people who, who are all saying the same thing, it's easier to just come up alongside them and say, yeah, yeah, uh, abortion is okay. And when there's a whole world who's saying that it is, but when it, when it isn't. And as I'm even reading this example, even in my life, I've noticed that sometimes if I throw an invite out there in a group text message, I have to put, uh, message me privately. Because otherwise someone will say, oh, I can't make it. And then all of a sudden everyone feels like, oh yeah, I can't make it. I can't. Maybe that's just because people don't like to hang out with me. I don't know. <laughs> but they all start saying that they can't make it. If one person says it, it's a little bit easier to say, oh, I can't make it either. And that's the mentality here that people have. Because broad is the way to hell. Jesus said that the way to heaven, it's narrow and it's hard. But the gates of hell are wide and broad and many people go that way. Few who find that narrow way. Now I have some excuses that these guys give that I noticed. There's three excuses. So my first excuse, I actually have it here. The first excuse that they're, that they're giving is when your house gets more important than Jesus. In that verse again, he said, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. See, the, the house has become an idol now. Sometimes I, I've heard of people who wanted to go out into the mission field and that was, they felt the Lord was calling them. They had a vision to do so and they were, they were, they were young and and. and the very next action that they did is they went and got a, a mortgage with a house. And it's like, wait a second, I thought you th said you wanted to go be a missionary for the world. Now, now you're stuck with a mortgage and you have to be here. Now that's not to say anything bad against mortgages, but if God gives you a vision, you need to live in such a way that you're going to be able to fulfill that vision. Here's some good wisdom, especially if you're young. Stay out of debt. When, if you get into debt, all of a sudden you prioritize things in life so that you're, it's, it's harder sometimes to do the vision that God has called you to do. I think of King Solomon. In the Old Testament, King Solomon spent seven years building the temple of the Lord. And it, it, we could, you could go visit it in Israel today and it exists in ruins. 
But when I look at how long he spent building his own house, does anyone know how long he spent building his own house? 13 years. He spent seven years building the temple of the Lord, but 13 years building his own house. Now, maybe, you know, that's not such a bad thing. But when I look at the rest of King Solomon's life, the other things he got involved with, a thousand wives. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He multiplied horses and chariots and did all these things in order to just build himself up. And he sought to fill his life with women. He sought to fill his life with alcohol, with wisdom, with knowledge. He wanted to find every vice to try to find the meaning of life. And at the end of that weird test that he did on his own spiritual walk, he came to this conclusion in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see, that's what happens when you spend too much time on your own house rather than doing what God's called you to do. Now, it is important. I don't want to give that to young people. And they said, see, Pastor Saul said, I don't need to clean up my room this, today. You know? It's like, no, like, you do need to, God does call us to be responsible. But you have to have your priorities straight. In verse 19, And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. So this is the second excuse now that we see. And what I see here, business is more important than Jesus to this man. The second excuse. You see, money is for the house, and, and man, do we need it, right? Remember when they lost Jesus as a little boy. And, and they were frantic, like, where, where did our son go? And they, they backtracked, leading them to the temple, and they find Jesus with the synagogue and with his teachers speaking with them. And they, they say, Jesus, why did you leave us? And he says in Luke chapter 2, verses 49 and 52, he says, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. You see, Jesus was about his father's business. And that's what we need to be about. Like what, is, what are those things in life that God has called you specifically to do that no one else can do? Sometimes we get our priorities off and we begin to think that the earthly business is more important than our father's business. So look, when you're abiding in Christ, he's going to lead and guide you and give you discernment on when you need to pull back and when you need to be responsible and partake in your work. But we don't want to get it flipped upside down. In verse 20, still another said, I have married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. So this is the third excuse. Marriage, family, and relationships being more important than Jesus. And that happens at times. Look, I, I love my wife, but she is not my God. And she would say the same about me. Because I make a really bad God. If I expect her also to be Jesus, I start to turn into a devil when I do that. I start nitpicking and, and getting angry and upset. I don't do that a lot, but I think <laughs> when I expect her to be Jesus, all, it, it turns me into the devil. So we can't expect people on this earth to be Jesus or God. And we shouldn't allow people to be that for us. That's one of the snares for, for young people. Is, uh, and I was serving in a high school ministry for a long time at uh, Calvary Chapel. And it was a blessing. But one of the things that we constantly, as we got a lot of high school kids going on in there, 
the pheromones just get crazy and you're like, look, you got to keep your relationships in check. And then even with the, the youth leaders, we would have to tell them there came a point when God bless him, Scott Salamat, my, my high school pastor said, look, okay, if you guys want to date and you're a leader in the high school ministry, now because of what was going on, because people were just getting too carnal about it, not, I don't mean like crazy carnal, but relationship clicks and all those things were becoming drama. He said, if you guys feel you are being called to marriage and come talk to me and I want you guys to first sit, sit outside of the, of the ministry for a moment, pray about it. And if you guys still feel called to be in this relationship, then come, we're going to invite you back into ministry. Now that's not like a rule that he, that's out there for all churches or something. That was something for a specific time in his specific ministry. But because the, the youth were getting the relationships, they were making boyfriends and girlfriends their God. And so that had to be corrected. Um, so don't allow your, your family, your marriages, to be more important than Jesus. In verse 21, So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly, into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. So you see, Jesus loves the outcast. The wise and most successful people of the world today, we see them, they, they reject Jesus. And they're going to be met with his wrath. You know, when my wife and I were we were getting married and planning our guest list. It was so hard to keep that number under 150. It, it was ridiculous. Because we, we were both Mexicans with thousands of family members each, right? And as soon as someone of, of, who was on the list would drop out, my mom was calling Lisette and saying, okay, Here's three more people I just invited because that one person's gone. And it's like, wait, what? Three? You know, I'm just kidding. It was kind of like that, a little bit. But some of my friends, because of that, even too, they got to go then at that point. So the illustration here, there's people who are first on the list, right? But then because they rejected it, now other people got to go. And that happens in Scripture. I want to read these last three verses, 22 through 24. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So it's like, what is Jesus trying to say here? Look. You've you got to go back to the Old Testament and study the Old Testament because when you, when you see who the word of God was given to, you realize it was first given to the Jews, the Israelites, and the Jewish nation. But the Israelites began to feel that because they had the Holy Scriptures, that they were above everyone else. When in the reality was Jesus cho- chose them to be a light to the whole world. And then the, their leaders were failing at doing that. They wanted people to look at them rather than to look at God. So because Israel was failing, then God said, okay, you're failing. So I'm going to turn my attention now to people who were not Jewish, which I think is most of us in here. The Gentiles. Someone who's a Gentile is someone who's not Jewish. So because of that now, the Holy Spirit then began to move greatly in the Gentile church. And the gospel spread throughout Asia Minor and Europe and and all these places and has come here to us today that we're still studying it. And the Jews, those who are still Jewish and are following that religion, They don't believe in Jesus. 
But there's going to come a day when God is going to open their eyes and they're going to realize that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God. But this is something that you have been given. You've been given the truth. You've been given the gospel. Now imagine if somebody gave Howard the cure to COVID. He had it. It was just, it was an easy two-day pill, and then that COVID would just be gone completely forever. It was proven. It, all right, this is the reality I'm painting. And they, they gave him a, a lifetime supply, like millions and millions of pills, so many so that he could just ship them out to everywhere in the world. And Howard was going to say, okay, like, I'll take mine, give it to my family. We're good. Nobody needs to know. I'm going to live, and that's it. How sad would that be if he had that life-saving application and didn't give it to anyone? You guys have something even more amazing than that. You guys have the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ that's for eternity. And some of us are so afraid to give it out to people because we don't want to be, look like the outcast. We don't want to look weak. That we're so afraid to share. And I get it. It is scary to take a step of faith and tell somebody that Jesus loves you. But you know what? They're dying. They're dying. And we have the truth that you're saved. So let's, let's care about the outcast. Let's care about the world. Let, let's care about the people, our families, that as we approach this holiday season. It, look, the, the reason for the season, Jesus. The holidays that we're approaching. And we could walk in that. So this morning, the things that we saw, practice humility, practice charity, we're going to receive a glorified body. Heaven is awesome because of Jesus. So don't make excuses with eternity. Let's pray.